1: of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Hello America. Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. The drafting women provision in the National Defense Act that they were planning on passing was removed thanks to public pressure. That public pressure would be you. When Chip Roy came on the programme, great congressman from Texas and alerted us to this provision, some Republicans had even voted for it. You killed it. You might recall we had a Levin surge. The Levin surge, you folks in this audience killed it. Number two, so far, the bill back ridiculous bill, which would destroy this country, has been blunted. Now, it's too early to cheer and celebrate. These people never stop, 24-7. They have designs on your money, on your future, on your children, on your home, on your property, and on this country. That's the nature of American Marxism. But as of right now, as of right now, Senator Manchin is under attack by his own party, particularly the radical elements within his own party. He's under attack by the Biden administration. He's under attack by the the propaganda, Democrat Party, American Marxist media. So let me suggest that you call Senator Manchin's office and tell them thank you so far for holding the line. Thank you so far for holding the line, and as long as you hold the line, you'll have the support of millions of Americans and an untold number of West Virginians as well. This is very important. Because he's only hearing from one side. Now, there's a lot here. I only have three hours. As I've told you many times before, this show could be five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours. But I'm not Jerry Lewis, and I don't do telethons, let alone radiothons. Could be a lot of fun. But I do want to spend a little bit of time on, number one, this this January 6th committee, again. And, number two, what's going on in the prisons, were people are being held in Washington, D.C., which only a handful of reporters and members of Congress seem to be concerned about. Over at The Federalist, Tristan Justice points out that Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney went after former President Donald Trump in her primetime performance on Monday, claiming that private messages of the president's staff revealed an apathetic leader, complicit with the riot at the Capitol as the attack unfolded. She said the violence was evident to all. It covered in real time by almost every news channel, said Cheney, Pelosi's hand-picked vice chairman of the select committee. But for 187 minutes, President Trump refused to act when action by our president was required, indeed essential and compelled by his oath to our Constitution. Trump's 187-minute delay to act, she added, was a supreme dereliction of duty. An actual examination of the day's events, however, shows... There was no such delay. According to a detailed timeline, a detailed timeline of the turmoil by the New York Times of all places, their first building was not breached until 2.13 p.m. The timeline was collaborated by the Washington Post, which stamped the first break-in at 2.15 p.m. Trump's first tweet addressing the upheaval shortly followed at 2.38 p.m. when the president made a plea for peace writing, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Stay peaceful. That was 23 minutes later. Not 187 minutes. About 30 minutes later, Trump addressed the demonstrators again on Twitter. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence! Exclamation. Wrote the president. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you, exclamation. That was 30 minutes after the Capitol building was breached. At 4.17 p.m., Trump posted a video on Twitter urging rioters to go home, a message that was promptly suppressed across the platform. Exactly where Cheney came up with the 187-minute delay is unclear. If starting the clock... From the time Trump finished his speech at the White House at 1.10 p.m., unrest at the Capitol gates had already been ensuing for about 20 minutes. During the address, Trump explicitly called on those gathered to protest peacefully, quote-unquote. Cheney's office did not respond to the Federalist inquiries. And this is not the first time Cheney or the January 6th committee have gone after President Trump and Republican voters with the creation and deployment of fake news. In the election year summer of 2020, Cheney was a primary purveyor of the fake Russian bounty stories, which alleged that Trump downplayed Kremlin aggression to accelerate the timeline for troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. At the same hearing on Monday where Cheney made up her own timeline of the Capitol riot, Adam Schiff read texts between Ohio Republican Jordan and White House Chief of Staff Meadows, which the Federalists revealed on Wednesday, were fabricated. The exchange, shift said, exposes a lawmaker pressing the vice president to unilaterally deny certification of the Electoral College votes as unconstitutional. But the message was forwarded to Meadows from Jordan, originally written by a Washington attorney, former Defense Department Inspector General Joseph Schmitz. The message, a sliver of which Schiff took out of context, adding punctuation and cooking up a fake graphic to illustrate it, was part of a four-page document that outlined the legal reasons behind Pence's authority to object to electoral certification from a handful of states. And we mentioned this yesterday, of course. The January 6th committee later confirmed the Federalist's reporting and admitted the message was doctored. Now, where did Liz Cheney get 187 minutes from? When 23 minutes after the, the Capitol was breached, the president tweeted, urging people to be peaceful and to support law enforcement that law enforcement and the Capitol Police are truly on the side of our country. Then a few minutes later, he addressed the demonstrators again on Twitter. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. This is 30 minutes after the breach. No violence, the president wrote. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. 4.17 p.m., third time, Trump posted his video on Twitter urging rioters to go home. This committee is filled with scumbags. I don't know how else to put it. Scumbags. People who doctor evidence, and now Liz Cheney has doctored a timeline. These subpoenas are outrageous. They have now subpoenaed a photographer who is suing the committee to stop them. She says, they're violating my privacy. They want all these text messages and emails and so forth that have nothing to do with anything. A photographer. You won't hear Mitch McConnell speak up. You won't hear John Thune speak up. Almost every Republican on the Senate side is sitting on their mouths. The only people fighting this, really, are the House Republicans. And some of them are sitting on their mouths. And, of course, the entirety, the entirety of the America Propaganda Corps with a few exceptions that don't belong to that core, our cover-up artists. They could have looked at the timeline as easily as the Federalists did, but they didn't want to. They're promoting Cheney. They're promoting Schiff, as they always do, who is a lying scumbag. Did I say scumbag? Yes, I think I did. It's a word I almost never use, but I've run out of words to describe these people. So this committee committee has committed numerous acts of impropriety, and if these individuals were under oath and conducting themselves under the rules of a court of law, they'd be disbarred, they'd be thrown out of court, and worse, they'd be held in contempt. As you and I hold them in contempt. When we come back, George Parry, a former federal and state prosecutor, in the American Spectator, a special report, exactly what is going on in these D.C. prisons In pre-trial detention. I'll be right back. Mark In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. I want to thank The Blaze, Breitbart, Washington Examiner, a buddy Paul Bedard, and others, a handful of others, for, uh, for their, their pieces on the uh, American Marxism and what a major success it has been in the country. I didn't get any calls from CNN or MSNBC, I didn't get any calls from the New York Slimes or the Washington Post, any of the book associations. I don't know, was it mentioned on conservative talk radio today, Mr. Producer? I wasn't listening. You missed it? And I'm sure all my friends at the other platform I'm on, I'm sure they all mentioned it. I want to thank Hannity last night, who did. I'm more than happy to promote other people's books. I have them on here more than any other host in America, as you all know. I have more substitute hosts than any other host in America. It's a massive platform we have here. I believe you need to build up the movement. You need to give credit and acknowledge wherever possible. There needs to be a farm team. And so, I, as I've told you before, I'm an activist. I'm committed to the mission. Other people are committed to their own bravado in their own self-promotion. Not me. Not me. I want to get into this story. It's going to go beyond the bottom of the hour. It's going to take a little bit of time. But a lot of things do. Because in this case, it's not being covered. The Great American Spectator by my buddy Bob Terrell, he's been doing this a long time. George Parry, former federal and state prosecutor. A visit to the D.C. Gulag. This is how totalitarianism looks. The plight of America's January 6th prisoners in pretrial detention. November 24, 2019, Kathleen Landerkin, deputy warden of the District of Columbia Jail, tweeted the following public service announcement. F everyone who supports Trump, quote-unquote. This is a public employee. The number two, Warden at the D.C. jail. This was but one of her many informative tweets regarding President Trump as supporters and Republicans in general. For example, consider the following representative sampling of Ms. Landerkin's deep thoughts as called from her Twitter account. Replying to at real Donald Trump, give it a effing break. White men are more dangerous than immigrants. By the way, she's a white woman. Replying to at real Donald Trump, how many Americans have been killed by white American men? How about a story on alt-right killers and hate crimes? How did the idiots of this country fall for your bull S? Replying to, at real Donald Trump, what the F is it with you? And size, must be the mushroom. You know what? To the two old white racists who felt the need to flip me off tonight, right back at you. If you're more offended by my free expression than you are of Trump today, the problem is you. I can't wait until you're all extinct. She writes, Trump is doing more damage to this country than foreign terrorists ever have. Replying to at GOP, his Trump's corrupt staff and family met with the Russians how many times before the election? How many times did they lie about a meeting with Russians? How many are in prison? Schiff is a hero. Replying to at real Donald Trump, you'll be in jail soon. Replying to at Secretary Pompeo, and with that, they should throw you in jail. Replying to at real Donald Trump, we know Obama did nothing wrong. You, on the other hand, are corrupt and are running scared because you know Mueller's coming for you. Remember, this is the deputy warden. Replying to at real Donald Trump, you're a traitor. You don't get to determine what's patriotic. Leave the people, that is Antifa, engaging in a peaceful protest, that would be the Portland riots, alone. Why the hell are you involved in stirring S-pot for your deplorables? You'll be in jail soon. Replying to at GOP leader, he, Trump, didn't win the popular vote, abolished the electoral college. Regarding Brett Kavanaugh, the same deputy warden, apparently retweeted, after Kavanaugh's confirmation of the Supreme Court, we know one thing for sure, sexual predators will always have a safe space in today's Republican Party. In another tweet, she declared, I'm one of many white females who work for social justice. In regard to the jail January six, Capitol Hill protesters, many of whom are in her jail. She approvingly retweeted, every prison needs a MAGA wing. And in response to the tweet, D.C. jail is run by D.C. government agency, I bet good money, no Fox News is being shown, she tweeted, nope, no Fox News. There's more, but you get the idea. The foul-mouthed deputy warden, Landerkin, appears to be one angry social justice warrior. So imagine what must have been her near orgasmic delight when scores of those Trump-supporting January 6th Capitol Hill protesters were lodged at her very own D.C. jail. And she and her like-minded colleagues would at long last be able to physically instruct those white racist Republicans in the errors of their ways. Which brings us to what a congressional delegation found during their recent visit to the D.C. jail. On November 4, 2021... Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, and Louis Gohmert, Republican of Texas, and their staffs. And why just those two? Toward the D.C. Jail Central Detention Facility, the CDF, and Central Treatment Facility, the CTF. The purpose of the visit was to inspect the conditions at these facilities and determine the treatment and status of the January 6th protesters held in the CTF. And the delegation did publish its findings in, quote, Unusually cruel, an eyewitness report from inside the D.C. jail. What follows is taken from that report. When we return, I will highlight aspects taken from this report. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. You're listening to the best of The Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year.
2: Mark Levin, the champion of liberty
3: and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. All right, let's get back
1: into this. So we have the two congresspersons and their staff. They go into this place. You've heard about the deputy warden, Hilda. So November 4th, 2021, six weeks ago, Marjorie Taylor Green, Louis Gomert, their staffs toured the D.C. Jail Central Detention Facility, CDF, and Central Treatment Facility. They wanted to inspect the conditions. They put out a report. Have you heard about this report? No. Unusually cruel, an eyewitness report from inside the D.C. Jail. On November 2, the United States Marshal Service had released a report regarding its surprise inspection of this D.C. jail. The report declared that the CDF did not meet the marshal's minimum standards of confinement. Approximately 400 inmates would be moved to a federal prison in Pennsylvania. But according to the marshal's service, the conditions at the jail were not bad enough to require moving the January 6 protesters to another facility. So they moved 400, but not the protesters. On the morning of November 4, Representatives Green and Gomer personally delivered a letter to the D.C. mayor's office signed by Green, Gomer, Representative Matt Gates, and Paul Gosar. Addressed to Mayor Muriel Bowser, the letter expressed the signatories' continued frustration with your office's repeated denial of access to the D.C. jail. It also stated that on July 29, Deputy Warden Landerkin had charged the congressional delegation with trespassing. And on multiple occasions had avoided and evaded their questions, forcibly locked them out of the facilities as well. The mayor's office did not respond to the letter until 6:16 6, p.m. When it offered Representative Green the option of attending a tour previously arranged by the D.C. City Council set to begin at 6.30 p.m. With less than 15 minutes before the tour supposedly started, Congresswoman Green and her staff raced to the facility as did Congressman Gohmert and two staff members. In the facility, they saw a variety of jail populations and conditions which were cramped, fetid, and atrocious. But they also observed a group of well-behaved young men, young men emerging, accessing educational resources and practicing moot court under the tutelage of of a Georgetown Law Center student. Members of the young men emerging said that they were reading books with emphasis Uh, The Unusual Cruelty of the American Justice System, and intended to study materials which promote the view that the U.S. perpetuates a racial caste system. Oh, lovely. Now, in the common areas of the jail, they found reading materials which promoted the nation of Islam and critical race theory. But when the delegation sought to enter the facility, none none other than Deputy Warden Landerkin once again blocked their way. This led to a heated confrontation by the delegation with a representative of the mayor's office who was on the tour. Representative Green threatened to go to the media. Representative Gomer told Deputy Warden Landerkin, You understand, we can also make an appearance before the U.S. judge, and I intend to take that action. But Landerkin did not relent, so the mayor's representative finally and reluctantly instructed her to open the door. The barred door swung open, and the delegation entered. Here, taken verbatim from the report, is a summary of what they found. Quote, Notwithstanding the warm welcome from the inmates, the physical conditions in which they are held can only be described as inhumane. For example, cells in the January 6th wing of the CDF were extremely small, composed of a single toilet sink and a small bed cot. The walls of the rooms had residue of human feces, body fluids, blood, dirt, and mold. The community showers were recently scrubbed of black mold, some of which remained. The interior walls of the common area were also freshly painted. According to the inmates, the U.S. Marshals had recently visited the area just days before, which caused a flurry of activity by the guards to clean up the January 6 area, while the U.S. Marshals were inspecting another area. Inmates explained they did not have access to their attorneys, families, or proper nutrition from the jail. Shortly after entering the January 6 wing of the CDF, Inmates assembled for their daily salute to the American flag and singing of the national anthem. Following almost an hour, personal interviews with January 6 detainees, all in attendance, except the D.C. jail staff, gathered in a circle while Congresswoman Green closed the group in prayer. Approximately 10.15 p.m., members and staff exited the facilities. It's also important to note the D.C. jail facility has an area designed for meetings between attorneys and clients with plexiglass and phones as they are as they face each other through the glass use of the facility should not result in 14 days of solitary confinement for meeting with an attorney now that was the summary but to get the complete picture let's look at this from verbatim from the report after exiting the elevator and turning right the delegation of approximately 15 people filed into a narrow hallway which led to a secluded area in the back of the CDF. This area was noticeably different. The January 6th detainee wing was a much older part of the jail that had not been updated in many years. One inmate claimed that this section of the jail had once been used as a psychiatric ward that had been decommissioned before the January 6th inmates were assigned there. D.C. Department of Corrections staff, that's D.C. DOC staff, Opened a door and allowed representatives Green and Gomart to enter a large, white, artificially lit room with approximately 40 inmates in orange scrubs scattered throughout the room. Inmates began to pour out of the rooms and approach the delegation of representatives and staff. The wing had two floors with cells along the walls of both. The center of the room contained a few scattered chairs and tables, but largely just an open space. The remainder of the room had an aged electronic panel controlling the cell doors and a common shower area with three individual showers with curtains. Moments after Representatives Green and Gomer entered the room, the inmates broke into exciting yelling and triumphant shouting, astounded by a visit from two sitting members of Congress. The inmates were overwhelmed with emotions, some crying, almost all emotionally shaken. One inmate asked a hug the Congresswoman. Except for the January 6th detainees, no other inmates in any part of the jail cried during the visit. Many January 6th inmates had not seen their families in some time and expressed a sense of hope after such a long period of isolation from the outside world. Remember, they're in detention. They haven't been convicted of anything. As inmates gathered around the representative chants of USA, USA rang out. Inmates began to form a line to shake hands with Representatives Green and Gohmert and their staff. And Congresswoman Green began to ask questions. Are you able to see and speak to your attorneys, inmates? No. Are you able to talk to see uh, talk to and see your family members, inmates? No. I haven't seen my family since April. I haven't seen my family's faces since all year another. If you have long hair, is that by choice, inmates? Unless you're vaccinated, you have to use Nair. Do you feel like you're being treated fairly? No, absolutely not. We only get five hours a day out of our cells, which is better than one hour. We were held for twenty-three hours a day when we got here. Do you go outside twice a week? How many times do you get meals? Three. Define meal. How often do you get mail? Whenever the jail guards feel like it. Do you get to be included in any educational classes or training? And then there was immense sarcastic group laughter. Tell me about religious services. Are you allowed to have religious services? No, we do our own. Do you have a Bible? Yes, ma'am. They said the only way to get communion is to get vaccinated. They sprayed all the cells with bleach before the marshals came. As the discussion continued, this is the report. The inmates assembled for their nightly singing of the Star Stangled Banner at 9 p.m. Following the singing of the national anthem, the congressional delegation began to mingle and have individual discussions with the inmates. Staff for Representative's Green's Office were shown the conditions inside the cells and community showers. Recently removed mold, dirt, and other stains were visible, clearly visible. Inmates claimed the Marshall Service had come through areas before, days before, and cleaned it up, in addition to painting the walls or having them painted. Some inmates disclosed that when they arrived in the area, the cells were crawling with rats and bedbugs. Their air circulation in individual cells is so minimal that human feces and other smells begin to fester and pollute the air. But the physical conditions of the area were just the start. Inmates were only allowed out of their cells for five hours a day, a small mercy. Prior to this relative freedom, inmates were kept in their cells similar to the maximum security inmates, 23 and 1, 23 hours in the cell, one hour out. 22 and 2, 21 in the cell, 3 out. One inmate who'd been detained since February 3rd explained that he had been subjected to 23 and 1 for four months, followed by two months of 22 and 2. Now, this inmate stated that he had gone through 200 days of solitary confinement. This type of treatment is being used against inmates who are all pre-trial. They haven't been convicted of anything. Despite remaining innocent until proven guilty under the law, the January 6th inmates are allowed few, if any, basic human needs. For example... To supplement their lack of nutrition from the jail, inmates must buy food from the commissary with their own money, limited to once a week with a maximum of $125. Inmates cannot receive a haircut unless they are vaccinated. They cannot receive communion without being vaccinated. Many have been reduced to using Nair to chemically burn their hair off to keep themselves partially groomed. Most cannot speak to their families. Some are not even sure whether their family members know they're alive or their condition. One elderly inmate, 71-year-old Lonnie Leroy Kaufman, was in such poor condition that his lower forearm had turned purple and his thumb black. Inmates claim Lonnie could be in danger of losing his lower arm and has been denied medical treatment. Multiple inmates argue that if there were a way to get any inmate released, it should be Lonnie. Many inmates suffered from a variety of health and dietary issues, one with a broken finger, another with a Celiac disease. Celiac disease, excuse me. The inmate with celiac disease must go days without eating because the jail will not accommodate his dietary needs. Other inmates claimed that the jail inserts chemicals and pubic hair in their food. Some inmates keep crackers or peanut butter in their cells to supplement their diet. The severe treatment of these inmates within the facility cannot be overstated. These men have no access to a law library to work on their cases. Some are forced to represent themselves pro se drafting dozens of pages of legal motions on notebook paper. Inmates stated they are only allowed outside twice a week. They cannot go to religious services in the main CTF area because they're not vaccinated. Now, we're going to take a short break, but I'm going to continue. I think this is crucially important. Do you not, Mr. Producer? This is unbelievable. In the United States of America, these people haven't been convicted of a damn thing. I'll be right back.
2: Mark Levin.
1: This is the best of the Mark Levin show. Happy New Year. Representatives Green and Comer continue to talk with the inmates sign their Bibles and Constitution, listen to their stories. Staff received information from many of the inmates on the status of their cases, conditions in the January 6th detainee wing of the CDF, or request to contact family or attorneys. One inmate provided Representative Green with a longer explanation of how the January 6th group of inmates were being treated in the months leading up to the visit. Inmate 1 says, Congresswoman Green, I want to talk to you about September 18th. Remember, they had the big rally in support of us at the Square in Washington, They, the Department of Corrections, woke us up prisoner of war style in the dawn at 7 in the morning. They made us grab our mattresses in our hands and didn't tell us where we were going, what was happening, how long we're going to be gone. They marched us down single file out of here. We started singing the national anthem. I got punched in the gut for singing the national anthem by a guard here as retaliation. They pulled us down into a random part of the jail and kept us there for nine hours where there were no sinks, no bathrooms, or anything. We didn't know what was happening to us. It was literally how you treated prisoners of war to keep them disoriented and not let them know where they're going and everything. It was a travesty. They did that to us about eight in the morning to about six at night, inmate number two. That was the day the rally happened. I saw him get punched by the officer. Inmate one for singing the national anthem. I got punched in the gut. Another conversation involved inmates singing God Bless America in their cells in early June 2021 in the retaliation from jail guards. Inmate, on June 1, 2021, we the inmates sang God Bless America at eleven forty five PM and Corporal Holmes, who was not normally stationed there, into their area and told us to shut the F up. We replied that we were singing God Bless America, and the guard replied, F America. And then went up to one cell, turned his camera off, and said he would beat his ass, referring to the inmate. The guard came back at 4.30 a.m. on June 2nd, taunting and harassing us. We wrote multiple grievances about this officer, and they were all returned by the guard himself. Now, this delegation's report contains much more. And he writes, I urge you to read it in its entirety. Landerkin recently tried to make her Twitter account disappear, but nothing on the Internet ever goes away. The tweets were retrieved and republished by Cybersleuths. As for Representative Green, she just posted this tweet addressed to Landerkin. Good morning, Deputy Warden. How's the D.C. Gulag this morning? You're responsible for human rights violations in the D.C. jail and torture and abuse of pretrial defendants. It's clearly because of your extreme political views. But you're not alone. Many are guilty, too. In the letter to Mayor Bowser, the delegation called for the termination of Deputy Warden Landerkin. So far, that hasn't happened. And given the prevailing political orientation of the D.C. government... Rather than being fired, it's more likely she will receive a raise in a Department of Corrections Employee of the Month award. Meanwhile, as Merrick Garland's Justice Department slow walks the Capitol Hill insurrection prosecutions, quote-unquote, Deputy Warden, Warden Latterkin and her like-minded colleagues have ever more time to sadistically re-educate the white Republican Trump-supporting January 6th pre-trial detainees in the ways of social justice.
0: Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact
1: with our leader, Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. Hey, Gabriel. Now who would that be? She's a faculty member at NYU, New York University. It's a big school, isn't it, Mr. Producer? It's always been filled with commies, by the way. May I say that? I think I will. Kay Gabriel, NYU faculty member in a video podcast in May of 2021. You know, a section of American Marxism that I probably haven't talked enough about is this transgender movement. If people want to do things to their body, who am I to stop them? In fact, you look at some people, they ought to do things to their bodies. But you understand my point. But what is a movement? A transgender movement. When I started to dig into this a little bit, I found out not all, but a significant part of it, not all, but a significant part of it, is once again drawn back to this Marxist ideology. Now, Kay Gabriel, you won't hear this anywhere else. Mr. Producer dug it up. Kay Gabriel, as I said, is a faculty member, no doubt, tenured. And I want you to understand what's going on in our universities and colleges and now going on in our public school system, kindergarten through 12. What's going on in our corporate world? What's going on now in the military and elsewhere? I want you to listen to this. Cut one, go. Trans liberation calls for communist revolution.
4: (laughs) Starting with the big one. Um, Okay, I'm going to leap on this first, but then I promise I will um, take a a, a backseat. You know, the dominant... Um, uh, like, say, liberal bourgeois reframing of trans liberation as trans rights and recognitions kind of, say, based in uh, the uh, supposedly successful pattern of, like, say, gay liberation transformed into rights and recognitions realized at the level of the state in some places, not everywhere, um, we... Make a claim that not only is this insufficient, but that pouring our energy into this thing is actually not going to get us what we want or what we need. Um, this kind of economic transformation that would be a kind of communist horizon, right—a world in which everyone has what they need. Um, so why does this why does this immediately matter to trans people? Well, what do trans people in our particularity have to 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 say or to offer that expands the universalism of? A communist of a, of a communist society, right? Um, which is to say, uh, w- one that would be achieved uh, in time through processes and events that we could call revolutionary. That we would have to call revolutionary because they would uh, it, it require the abolition of society as it currently is. That when we demand like society be rearranged in certain ways, this is a part of the project. Hmm.
1: Now a lot of this is uh, verbosity. A lot of it's pedantic. But when you cut through the static, you get to the core issues here. Here's a professor, among others, in this video podcast, May 2021, hat tip, myth-informed, promoting communism. It requires, quote, the abolition of society as it currently is, unquote. Quote, that when we demand that society be arranged in certain ways, this is part of the project, quote-unquote. Now, I don't know why people doubt me. I don't know why people say, oh, it's a red scare. There's a, it's not about a red scare. It's about informing ourselves about what's going on. Used to be under the radar. Now it's closets wide open. And this is something we must attend to, deal with. This is something we have to challenge and confront. And so, this is May 2021 in a video podcast. This is a professor. And she's not alone. She's not alone in the least. She's promoting Marxism. Through genderism. Transgenderism. It's like promoting Marxism. Through racism. Promoting ro- Marxism. Marxism through socialism, the war on private property rights and capitalism. These are sub-American Marxist movements. And they pull together and they overlap. Some people belong to the various aspects of one or another. Some don't, but nonetheless, this is a force to deal with. Why? Because they've conquered much of the culture, that's why. They run the colleges and universities. They run the teachers' unions. They run the Democrat Party, and they run the media. That's a lot. And they run Hollywood and entertainment. That's why they want to get rid of Fox or OAN or Newsmax. That's why they want to get rid of talk radio. You're in the way, don't you understand? They want to fundamentally abolish the society as it currently is, quote-unquote, Uh And they want to expand the universalism of a communist society. Through time, of course. Achieve it through time. Now we need to wake up to this fact. We need to wake up to this fact. That these movements do in fact exist. They're not a figment of my imagination. I also think this is why... American Marxism is the biggest book of 2021 and it is ignored by virtually every single major book promotion association and book award system. It's even ignored by some of our conservative friends on TV and radio because they have these these weird pangs of jealousy or something. I don't know what their problem is. It doesn't matter. And this was all done without social media. This was all done without an elaborate book tour. This was all done because you're worried about your country and you want to know the truth and you want to understand who these people are and what the hell's going on. And that's what I did in this book. But I want to play this one more time. I didn't mean to hit you right up front with it. Well, actually, I did, but it may have gone too fast. Hey, Gabriel, New York NYU faculty member in a video podcast May 2021. And these faculties, they're incestuous. They hire people who share their ideology, many of them from the same exact academic background or school. And so it just keeps going on and
4: on and on. Cut one, go. Trans liberation calls for communist revolution. <laughs> Starting with the big one. Um, okay, I'm going to leap on this first, but then I promise I will um, take a, a backseat. You know, the dominant um uh like say liberal bourgeois reframing of trans liberation as trans rights and recognitions kind of say based in uh the uh supposedly successful pattern of like say gay liberation transformed into rights and recognitions realized at the the level of the state in some places not everywhere um we make the claim that not only is this insufficient but that pouring our energy into this thing is actually not going to get us what we want or what we need um, this kind of economic transformation that would be a kind of communist horizon, right? A world in which everyone has what they need. Um, so why does this, why does this immediately whoa, whoa, whoa. matter do, to you? Where,
1: where does everyone have what they need in some communist revolution? I mean, it doesn't even matter, but go ahead.
4: Well, what do trans people in our particularity have to, 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 to say or to offer that expands the universalism of a communist of a, of a communist society right um which is to say uh w- one that would be achieved uh in time through processes and events that we could call revolutionary that we would have to call revolutionary because they would uh, it, it require the abolition of society as it currently is that when we demand like society be rearranged in certain ways this is a part of the project
1: notice the uh no, no, notice the uh, effort at sounding more intelligent than she or he actually is. The affectations. Yeah, yeah, the process. Uh, you know, we have to move hey, in a communist society. Yeah, so, these are the people who want to rule your life. These are the people who want to destroy the norms of a society. It's very important we talk about these things. So we all know what's taking place. This is what they mean by a white dominant society. What they mean by a white-dominant society, quite frankly, is by a society that has certain norms about men and women, about genitalia, about freedom and individualism. And you have these uh, disparate movements, these individuals who reject the norms of a society. And so they have to character assassinate people who associate with the norms of this society or built the norms of this society. And that's why they are obsessed with racism, uh, excuse me, with slavery 150 years ago, but so many excuse slavery in China because they're making big bucks. And that's occurring today. Today. I'll be right back.
2: Mark Levin.
1: Listening to the best of the Mark Levin show. Happy New Year. You know, in the book, I cite an article, All Places, the Washington Compost, a couple decades back, and they interview a number of professors from various, particularly Ivory League schools, and they openly say, look, yes, we teach Marxism, but we don't do it the old way. Some push Marxism as an economic model. Some use it as a climate model. Some use it as a gender model, and they go on and on and on. So what's happened in the United States, the reason the book's called American Marxism and not Marxism is because in America, what's happened is these phony elites. There was a book written by a gentleman by the name of Aron once, brilliant man, called The Opium of the Intellectuals, The Opium of the Elites, And he points out that these people really are disconnected from reality, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they, they They are in charge of what is taught and what passes for good judgment and so forth and so on while everybody else is working with their hands and their minds trying to make a living. And that is precisely what's going on in this country today. Precisely what's going on. So I thought it was important to point this out. Now I want to read you something, a letter to Kevin McCarthy, from a number of uh, very important conservatives, and conservatives in some cases that run conservative organizations. And the letter is signed by, among others, former Attorney General Ed Meese, and a variety of others, Ken Cuccinelli, former Attorney General of Virginia. Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council. Brent Bozell, the Media Research Center. And I could go on and on and on. These are very, very important people. Been around a little while, you know. And here's the letter that they sent to Kevin McCarthy. The undersigned conservatives asked that the House Republican Conference act immediately to remove, to remove... Both Representative Liz Cheney and Representative Adam Kingsinger from the Republican Conference due to their egregious actions as part of the House of Representatives' January 6th Select Committee. As you are aware, this committee has no formal representation from Republicans. Both Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger serve at the request of the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. As part of Pelosi's team... Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger have deliberately sought to undermine the privacy and due process of their fellow Republicans. And those are private citizens, with improperly issued subpoenas and other investigatory tactics designed not to pursue any valid legislative end, but merely to exploit for the sake of political harassment and demagoguery. The actions of Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger on behalf of House Democrats have given supposedly bipartisan justification to an overtly partisan political persecution that brings disrespect to our country's rule of law, legal harassment, to private citizens who've done nothing wrong, and which demeans the standing of the House. As duly elected representatives, Representatives Cheney and Kingsinger are free to serve in the House, but they should no longer do so with the privileges granted to members of the House Republican Conference. They should no longer be given access to the benefits of a conference they actively seek to undermine. We ask that the Republican conference meet immediately to vote on stripping representatives Cheney and Kingsiger from their membership in the Republican conference. We ther- further inform you that conservative leaders are launching a nationwide movement to add citizens' voices to this effort. Fantastic. Among others, Ed Meese. Jim DeMint Jenny Beth Martin David McIntosh of Club for Growth Brent Bozell, our friend many, many others Ginny Thomas, President of Liberty Consulting Gary Bauer I can't read them all but these are very serious people many of whom have been in the conservative movement for half a century some served in the Reagan administration and so forth and so on Kenneth Blackwell Matt Schlapp, Ken Cuccinelli, Tony Perkins, Al Regnery, Cleta Mitchell, Ken Cribb, Brooke Rollins. I can go on and on and on. Seton Motley, Craig Shirley. All right, that's it for now, but you understand now the pressure is on. the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom.
0: You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking
1: world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. I want to thank Mike Pence for that. Speaking of January 6, I want to underscore something. Yesterday, you heard me play a clip of Liz Cheney. And among other things that were really pretty outrageous was her statement that Donald Trump could be criminally at fault for dereliction of duty. Remember that, Mr. Producer? For failing to act. And then, of course, she had somebody named Alapundant over at uh, Hot Air, well-named agreeing with her. Wow, they're circling the wagons. Didn't occur to him, of course, that they have no criminal investigatory powers, certainly no constitutional authority for such a thing. They don't even honor the Bill of Rights, due process, all the rest of the things that take place in a criminal investigation. So they're undermining the Constitution while pretending to defend it. But this is the nature of fanatics And fanaticism. But that did catch my attention for another reason. As again I pointed out last night, so the backbenchers will regurgitate it at some point, but let me underscore it. If the deliberate failure, the deliberate failure to act, is a crime, then Nancy Pelosi needs to be under criminal investigation. What did Nancy Pelosi do Deliberately, when she was offered to have the National Guard protect the Capitol building. She turned them down. What exactly did Nancy Pelosi do in preparation for January 6th? Did she do nothing? Deliberately? Well, she wouldn't have done done nothing accidentally. And herein lies one of the issues, not all, but one of them. When you have a 9-0 committee... Appointed by Nancy Pelosi, the purpose of which is to do her political dirty work and to damage as many people as she possibly can, Trump and the people around Trump, and more. There is no way that this... You hear the helicopter, Mr. Producer? Do you or don't you? Hold on, let me hold up the... Everybody listen. Hear it? I think they're coming to get me. No, I. We have a Virginia home that's on the Potomac River. And frequently military helicopters, but also helicopters for dummy. When they're going to Camp David, they like to follow the Potomac River to a point, including past my house. So I don't know if that's dummy or not, I don't know what's going on there. But when when we've had helicopters that to me look like Hueys, oh my god, the whole house shakes. <laughs> feels like people who live near trains, by the way. That's what it feels like. Anyway, if uh, the failure to, or deliberately to fail to do your job, dereliction to do your job, as Liz Cheney pointed out, then Nancy Pelosi should be in the crosshairs of a criminal investigation. It's not Donald Trump's responsibility to defend the Capitol building. He's not in charge of the Capitol police. She is. He's not in charge of the Metropolitan Police. The Democrat dummy who runs the city, Boucher, she's in charge of them. He offered the National Guard. That's all he can do. But Kingsinger and Cheney are not concerned about that. No. No. And Then there's Adam Schiff on this committee, who they're also not concerned about. Adam Schiff, if he were under oath if you're under investigation, would be doing a hard time at Leavenworth, breaking rocks with his precious hands. As they point out at the Federalist, oops, he did it again. After leaking fake Donald Trump Jr. emails, fabricating the transcript of a 2019 phone call between former President Trump and Ukraine's president, And lying about his interactions with the so-called whistleblower behind House Democrats' first impeachment of Trump, Representative Adam Schiff is now running the same con against a fellow lawmaker. During a hearing Monday night on the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, Adam Schiff claimed to have proof that a member of Congress texted former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to instruct former Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Not only did Schiff misrepresent the substance of the text message and its source, he even doctored original text messages, which were obtained and reviewed by the Federalists in their entirety. Now let me stop there. I'm talking to the Republicans on Capitol Hill. The leadership, but all of them. Adam Schiff is an attorney. Whether he's a member of Congress or he's litigating in court or he's in-house counsel or what have you, there are certain rules of professional responsibility that an attorney, even one from California, must comply with. If you are intentionally altering the text of messages to misrepresent the facts in a matter that leads to you voting to hold... A citizen in criminal contempt, you should lose your license. You should lose your license to practice law. Now, just so you folks know, any citizen is free to bring this to the attention of the Ethics Committee of the Supreme Court of California. Any citizen. But I would encourage the Republican members of the House of Representatives. I hope some of you are listening to me. You don't even need a smart staff lawyer to do this. To draw up an ethics complaint to be filed with the relevant ethics committee of the Supreme Court of California. And make it clear that Adam Schiff Adam Schiff took evidence supposed evidence And manipulated it and changed it for the purpose of a congressional hearing seeking and pursuing a criminal complaint, criminal contempt against the former chief of staff to the former president of the United States. Let me repeat what's pointed out here in the Federalist. During a hearing Monday night on the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, Adam Schiff claimed to have proof that a member of Congress, and I believe the member that he was accusing was Jim Jordan, texted former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to instruct former Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Not only did Schiff misrepresent the substance of the text message and its source, he even doctored. Original text messages, which were obtained and reviewed by the Federalists in their entirety, so he should lose his law license. Quote, I want to display just a few of the messages he received from people in Congress, Schiff said, referring to Mark Meadows. The committee is not naming these lawmakers as this time at this time as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic, he says, the following graphic purportedly of the text message between a member of Congress and Meadows then appeared on the screen at Schiff's direction. Ready? Quote. This one reads, On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, shall call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional. as no electoral votes at all. Schiff continued. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about, about a lawmaker suggesting that the former vice president simply throw out votes that he unilaterally deems unconstitutional in order to overturn a presidential election and subvert the will of the people. This is the man who, of course, led the Russia collusion effort to overthrow the 2016 election. Not only did Adam Schiff lie about the substance of the text message and its source, he even doctored the message and graphic that he displayed on the screen during his statement. The full text message which was forwarded to Meadows from Representative Jim Jordan on the evening of Monday, January 5, was significantly longer than what Schiff read and put on screen. But Schiff erased significant portions of the text and added punctuation where there was none to give the impression that Jim Jordan himself was tersely directing Meadows to give orders to Pence on how to handle the electoral vote certification. The original text was written by Washington attorney and former Department of Defense Inspector General Joseph Schmitz and included an attachment of a four-page draft Word document drafted by Schmitz that detailed his legal reasoning for suggesting that Pence had the constitutional authority to object to the certification of electoral votes submitted by a handful of states, meaning they were in conflict, they were in controversy. The piece that Schmitz had sent to Jordan was published at the website everylegal.vote the next day and even included the same discussion draft, quote-unquote, headline and timestamp on the document that Schmidt sent to Jordan. So it was the evening of January 5th, not January 6th as well. Good luck tomorrow, Schmitz texted Jordan, on the evening of January 5th, including the Word document as an attachment. Schmidt then texted to Jordan a three paragraph summary of his Word document, which Schiff sliced and diced and then attributed to Congressman Jordan. Quote On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional. As no electoral votes at all, in accordance with guidance from founding father Alexander Hamilton and judicial precedents, Schmidt texted, in his graphic, Schiff erased the final clause and the M-dash preceding it and added a period to the first clause without disclosing that here his staff had chopped up the text and created a fake graphic misrepresenting the actual contents of the text message. Schmick continued, No legislative act, wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 78, contrary to the Constitution can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth, that an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all is a proposition no longer open to discussion. Following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally enacted statute, is no elector at all, Schmitz wrote, right. And by the way, this is a serious point. A serious point. It's not about ballots, it's not about machines. It is a serious constitutional point that if electors are chosen in a way that violates the federal constitution, that is, a system set up by a governor, a lieutenant governor, by a secretary of state, a board of elections, or even a state court, that violates the federal constitution. Now, the court knew that in Bush versus Gore. The Supreme Court knew that in 2000. The Bushies, the Cheneys, knew that in 2000. In his statement, an on-screen graphic, Schiff erased the final two paragraphs and the final clause of the first paragraph of the text before inserting punctuation that was never there, all without disclosing what he was doing. He doctored it, and he distorted it. He doctored it, and he distorted it. Multiple sources who regularly communicate with Jordan scoffed at the idea that Jordan, who's known for writing only brief, one or two word texts, if at all, would sit down and type out a multi-paragraph narrative with precise legal citations, akin to a lengthy court brief. Schiff and his team have a long history of doctoring and fabricating evidence to show their political enemies in the worst possible light. While Trump Jr. was testifying during a 2017 hearing on Russia collusion, the committee leaked... CNN and NBC, emails purportedly from Trump Jr. that showed he had communicated with someone about hacked WikiLeaks documents prior to the public release. A lie. I'll be right back. Mark lovin'. mark levin wishing you a happy new year now back to the best of me two things need to happen an ethics complaint filed with the the ethics committee of the supreme court of california against adam schiff i'm hoping the republicans in the house will do this Uh, you're not free to doctor evidence not even in a congressional form that seeks to hold somebody in criminal contempt and send them to prison That's number one. Number two, I'm also hopeful that the Republicans in the House will file an ethics complaint against um, Adam Schiff, as well as the full committee. Because you can't tell me the full committee didn't know this, and an investigation is warranted immediately. Immediately. So I encourage those two complaints to be filed immediately. I'll be right back. This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, we have a judge appointed by President Trump by the name of Trevor McFadden. He's a district court judge in Washington, D.C. Now, a lot of these district court judges, I've explained this in the past, are not really the the selection of a sitting president. A lot of times you have to make deals to get them through the Senate. So they make deals on district court judges, not on circuit court judges, unless that's changed, and certainly not on Supreme Court justices. But you have situations when you have a Republican president and you're looking at a Democrat area like the District of Columbia, where they'll cut a deal. Let's say there's two trial judges Seats that are open, district court judge seats that are open. And what they'll do, the Democrats on Capitol Hill, they'll say, look, we're going to block your guys if you try and put two Republicans in there. So a president typically has to say, all right, look, I'll get one and you pick one. Or maybe there's three openings in and around New York City, federal judge slots. And a president will say, I'm taking two, I'll give you one. I've seen that happen. It had to happen with Reagan. It's happened with everybody. But we drew the line at the appellate courts and certainly at the Supreme Court, and I certainly hope Republican presidents have continued to do that. So even though Trevor McFadden was appointed by, nominated by, and then confirmed by the Senate by, uh, by President Trump, it doesn't mean he's a Trump guy, if you get my point. Is that pretty clear, Mr. Producer? So we have this piece in The Hill by Naomi Jagoda and Harper Neidig, me. Anyway, uh, federal judge yesterday dismissed an effort from former President Trump to prevent the Treasury Department and IRS from providing House Democrats with his tax returns. Look how it's Trump. They dismissed his effort to protect his tax returns from Congress. Now, folks, Donald Trump is a private citizen. There is absolutely no reason for Congress to have his tax returns. None. Do you have, know of any ex-president that has been treated this way? In this latest attack? I mean, do you know any president that's been treated this way? Ex-president. They don't want to know about George H.W. Excuse me, George W. Bush's taxes. They don't want to know anything about Obama and the hundreds of millions that he's pulled in. Why not? Now, I'm telling you right now, when the Republicans, if the Republicans take the House, and I want to talk about that in a minute, if the Republicans take the House, they damn well better get on their bikes here, and they should target Obama or Clinton and somebody and demand their taxes. And if the judges think it's no big deal that that Congress has a legitimate effort in trying to make tax policy based on what public officials are doing, then they should subpoena these this judges taxes and supreme court justices taxes. Why suggest the president or a former president in this case? There's no legislative purpose here. But if there is, and if that's the holding, if that's the adjudication, then fine. Then start subpoenaing tax returns from judges and justices from former democrat presidents. That'll put an end to this nice and fast. They got to learn how to fight fire with fire. They're such wusses. May I say wusses, Mr. Producer? I think I will. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. And this McFadden writes in a 45-page opinion, a long line of Supreme Court cases requires great deference to facially valid congressional inquiries. This is not a facially valid congressional inquiry. By using that language and embracing that position... He comes up with his result. Even the special solicitude accorded former presidents does not alter the outcome. The court will therefore dismiss the case. But he was nice enough to stay his decision for 14 days for an appeal. For an appeal. And uh, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal... Another hack for Pelosi. He's requested Trump's tax returns from the IRS. He praised the ruling. Now, this ruling should be used to go after Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Now, why? Well, let me remind you about Speaker Pelosi, Eva Stretch Pelosi. Let me remind you about Pelosi, if I can find my damn... uh, List of audio, Mr. Producer. But what's the one before? She was asked today, right? She was asked today if members should be prohibited from trading stocks. Go ahead.
0: Insider just completed a five-month investigation finding that 49 members of Congress and 182 senior congressional staffers have violated the stock act, uh, the insider trading law. I'm wondering if you have any reaction to that. And secondly, should members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual
1: So stock members stock? of Congress are violating their own rule in the way, in the amount in which they trade stock, buy and sell. Because obviously they're all insiders, Right. And here's her answer. Go ahead.
5: No, I don't know to this second one. Um, any uh, we have a responsibility to report in the stock uh, on the stock. But I don't I'm not familiar with that five month review. But if uh, people aren't reporting, they should be Why Why the figure, you know, the
2: figure,
5: because this is a free market and people we have a free market economy. They should be able wow, to participate. It's a free
1: market economy. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead. Meanwhile, how soon we forget, it was 2012, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? How soon we forget this with 60 Minutes. Go.
3: And former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her husband have participated in at least eight IPOs. One of those came in 2008 from Visa just as a troublesome piece of legislation that would have hurt credit card companies began making its way through the House. Undisturbed by a potential conflict of interest, the Pelosi's purchased 5,000 shares of Visa at the initial price of $44. Two days later, it was trading at $64. The credit card legislation never made it to the floor of the House. Congresswoman Pelosi also declined our request for an interview, but agreed to call on us if we attended a news conference. Madam Leader, um, I wanted to ask you why you and your husband back in March of 2008 um, accepted and participated in a very large IPO deal from Visa at a time there was major uh, legislation affecting the credit card companies making its way through the um, through the house. And what, did you consider that to be a conflict of interest?
5: I don't know what your point is of your question. Is there some point that you want to make with that? Well, I, I guess what
3: I'm asking is, do you think it's all right for uh, a speaker uh, to accept uh, a very preferential... Let Are you a
1: crook? Are you doing insider trading? You and that big, stupid husband of yours who's holed up in San Francisco doing God knows what? Are you using your position to enrich yourself? That's the question, you idiot. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, we did you participated in the IPO. Well, I have many And at the time,
3: you were Speaker of the House. You don't do think it was a conflict of interest or had the appearance no, of a it, conflict it of interest?
5: No, it would only has appearance if you decide that you're going to have a, a, a elaborate on a false premise. But it, it, it's not true, and that's that.
3: I don't right, understand we, what yeah. part's not true.
5: Yes, sir. Um, that I, that, that I would you. act upon an investment.
3: Congresswoman Pelosi pointed out that the tough credit card legislation eventually passed, but it was two years later and was initiated in the Senate. I will
5: hold my record in terms of fighting the credit card companies as a speaker He didn't ask
1: about your wonderful record in terms of fighting the credit card companies. He asked about a conflict of interest, and your response was, I don't understand what you're talking about. And yet you do. Go ahead of Congress
5: uh, up against anyone's.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, then let's do it. Can we see your tax returns? Can we see your tax returns? I know Liz Cheney's very concerned. Very concerned. And so is the Adam Kingsinger. I'm sure they're very, very concerned. Can we see your tax returns? We just had a federal judge say that, of course, Congress can look at tax returns. It's, uh, it's a... Uh, on, on its face. It's a legitimate request by Congress. I'd never heard of a Congress requesting a former president's tax returns, but here we have a federal judge who's saying that, well, that's the big deal. It's routine. Moron. You know, just because they wear black robes doesn't mean they're so smart. Doesn't mean they're so smart. Why are they wearing black robes anyway? Why? Why are they wearing black robes? It's Tradition. I mean, are they wearing pants under the rope? Do we even know, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. So Pelosi, of course. No, no, no. This is a free market. Isn't that funny? When it comes to her own cringeworthy dealings, it's a free market. But when it comes to you, you don't pay enough. We need a bigger IRS. We need more IRS auditors. Moving $600 around, yes, we need to figure out what's wrong with you. We need to keep track of everything. Keep track of what you're doing. Yeah, right. January 6th. January 6th. I think they're going to make January 6th a national holiday, Mr. Producer, to commemorate January 6th so they can keep calling it an insurrection. Jen Psaki was asked about this. And uh, by a reporter. And you see, again, you'll see how the reporter and Psaki and the Democrats work hand in glove. Cut 15, go.
4: What is the White House planning to do, if anything, to commemorate January 6th? I feel like there's been a little... Push and pull internally at the White House. You know, not necessarily wanting to elevate former President Trump, but also wanting to respond to some of the, the threats. So, how are you all approaching that? I
5: don't have anything to report to you at this point in time about our plans. I expect we will have more uh, as we get closer to the end of the year. Uh, but you know, the president to the president, January sixth was uh, one of the darkest days in our democracy. Uh, it was a day that
1: our, our actually capital... one of the darkest days in our democracy was when joe biden entered the oval office quite frankly just saying go ahead
5: since capital was under attack and i think there's no question you'll see us commemorate that day
1: Hmm. how many people were killed that day i mean literally killed not had heart attacks or strokes or whatever one and it was an unjustified killing it was an unjustified shooting And this individual got away with it, and now he's praised, he's righteous, he was on TV, and all the rest. I don't know of anybody, any host at Fox, any conservative on radio, who celebrated what took place on January 6th. Who celebrated what took place on January 6th? In fact, as far as I know, we all condemned it. I certainly did, and strongly, as we condemned what took place in cities across America, not involving politicians, but involving regular, hard-working Americans who were brutalized, whose businesses were burned down, and on and on and on and on. But that consistency does not exist when it comes to the Democrats that protect their base. Their base doing these sorts of things. And the FBI has said it's unloaded more resource in this investigation on January 6th than on any other matter, which is shocking to me. Shocking to me. People committed crimes, they should be punished. But people who didn't commit crimes, I mean, jaywalking, trespassing, marching, misdemeanors, and so forth, those are ridiculous for people to be in the the D.C. jail for. It's it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's outrageous. And the treatment that many of them are uh, suffering under is Philip Bump would get off his fat ass and check it out. He's a reporter for the Washington Post, don't you know? But he has no interest in actually learning the facts just shoots his wad from behind a desk while he's eating a tuna fish sandwich. Or five or six. So we're going to commemorate January sixth. Why don't we commemorate when the Capitol was blown up, one of the rooms in the Capitol was blown up by Barack Obama's buddy? Or why don't we commemorate what took place when the uh, when the when the Puerto Rican tourists Shot actually members of Congress from the gallery. Why don't why don't we why don't we commemorate that? Why don't we commemorate when Franklin Roosevelt rounded up 110,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent? Why don't we commemorate that? There's a lot to commemorate, but this was no insurrection. It was an it was an outrage, but it was no insurrection. Everybody knows it was not an insurrection. And we'll never get to the bottom, apparently, of what Nancy Pelosi knew hours before, days before, and why she failed to protect that building as the leader of Congress, as the number three in line to the presidency, and the number one powerhouse in Congress, even more than mumbles over there on the Senate side. Why she didn't muscle up police, because I'll tell you why she didn't do it. We already know why in some, in some respects. She didn't want the look of the military around the building. She didn't want the look of the police around the building. Why? Because her kook, Marxist, disgusting base hates the military and hates cops. That's why. And what would the media say? I mean, after all, it was Donald Trump who was abusing power, right? Using the the long arm of of law enforcement and... Contemplating using the military to protect the White House and Lafayette Park and he came under attack. We couldn't have Nancy Pelosi using the military and more police force to protect the Capitol building. No 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 no. Isn't that a dereliction of duty, Liz Cheney? Getting dim more dimwitted by the hour. Oh yes she is. Yes, I I think it is. Insurrection. Doesn't even meet the definition of an insurrection, the criminal definition of an insurrection. Remember the uh, their proposed impeachment article, the incitement of an insurrection. Remember that? The clowns don't even know what they're talking about. Period. Because it wasn't an insurrection. That's why. It didn't meet the definition of an insurrection. That's why. But it doesn't matter. The press is on the case. Why wasn't it an insurrection in 2016 when they tried to remove Trump through a coup, through a criminal investigation? When they used the FISA court. The FISA court. The Patriot Act against a sitting president at his campaign. Why wasn't that an insurrection? Why wasn't it an insurrection when the the nominee of the opposing party, the Democrat, funneled money into a law firm that funneled it into another place, that funneled it to a a retired British spy that put out a lie about the President of the United States through a Russian and then launched a criminal investigation against that President. Why isn't that an insurrection? Why isn't that an insurrection? Why aren't the riots that took place in our cities in effect the Democrat Party militia, which the Democrats would not condemn, Maybe they had a sentence here and there, belatedly. Why wasn't that an insurrection? Why isn't the war on the independence of the court an insurrection? Why isn't the war on separation of powers an insurrection? Why isn't the attack on our founding documents an insurrection? Or as Schumer would say, why isn't it an erection? I'll be right back. This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. Mark Levin, the research arm of
3: conservative media. Call in now,
1: 877-381-3811. Todd, Waterloo, Iowa, KXEL. Go right ahead. Thank you, Mark. First
0: time, long time. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I really enjoyed uh, hearing the uh, Senate candidate, uh, uh, Mr. Mandel, from Ohio, and He's very good dovetails in into uh, my, my topic here um you know we were talking about how they changed jim jordan's uh, statements his text uh, created them out of thin air uh i'm remembering when nancy pelosi pulled the unprecedented move of denying the republicans the ability to see jim jordan on the very committee that wound up falsifying his statements that's right. This was something that was in the works for a long time. This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment oopsie thing. They had to keep him off of there in order for them to present the, this report to MSNBC and whoever else to say, look at all these terrible things. they presented it
1: to the whole country. They did it at the committee.
0: They did they get it in the committee, and they had to keep him off of there. They had to get Liz Cheney in there. They had to get, And uh, Mr. Medved called them squishy rhinos. I think he was being very polite. Uh, Mandel. Was,
1: Mr. Mandel.
0: Mr. Mr. Mandel, excuse me. We have uniparty frauds that are not standing up for Republicans, for constitutional Republicans like Jim Jordan, and I think uh, that's this should be a wake-up call to the rest of the country that we need to All
1: right, 100%. my friend. Todd, very good call. We appreciate it. You see, Chuck Todd, Todd is a first name normally. And... Any parent who loves their child will never call their son Chuck Todd because that means, get rid of my kid. I can't stand him. Right, Mr. Producer? Chuck him. Chuck Todd. Now, he could be called Todd Chuck. As bizarre as that is, it'd be a little bit better, but now it's Chuck Todd. And I'm all for that Chucking Todd. Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go right ahead, my friend. When you see
6: Liz Cheney sitting on the panel, next to her is Congressman Raskin. Congressman Raskin's father was a founder of the KGB Front Group Institute for Policy Studies. Is that that right? Yes. And one of the uh, senior fellows of the Institute for Policy Studies... Let's slow down.
1: Let's slow down. A little bit more detail, because this is a radical, hard-left organization, the Institute for Policy Studies. And you're making the assertion that Jamie Raskin, a Congress nut job from Maryland, that his father was one of the founders of this organization that had ties to the Communists. Is that what you're saying?
6: Right. Ties to the KGB. They work directly with the New York Times, Washington Post. They shape policies, opinion, everything in America. It's sort of like the go-between between between various communist groups, communist countries, including Soviets, and how they sort of... it's a nexus between foreign and uh, American enemies the nexus between them, the government, and the media. very powerful group. Uh, mm-hmm. In the past, uh, what, what's his name? I've, Glenn Beck talked about the Institute for Policy Studies. But look, it gets better. A senior fellow of the Institute for Policy Studies is Francis Fox Pivens. Mm-hmm. She... Worked with Joseph Bootygeg. Bootygeg, Joseph Bootygeg was the founder of the International Gramsci Society. His son is Pete Bootygeg. Mm. You've got two, three generations of Marxist revolutionaries here throughout our media and government. And most of it is, is out in the open, and it's extremely dangerous. So you could have somebody connected to, to America's enemies on the panel, but you can't have a loyal American like Jim Jordan on the mm. January 6th commission. This is, this is incredible, you know? It's my God, and as this is going on, our enemies, Russia and China, oh, are yeah. building weapons. They're working all over the world, and there's a small
1: group of... So Marcus Raskin, let's back up a little bit. Marcus Raskin is Raskin's father?
6: Right. There's no doubt about that. And Marcus Raskin uh, is a founder... Hold
1: on now, hold on now. He was the director of of IPS, the Institute for Policy Studies, correct? Right, yes. He was the co-founder of the Institute for Policy Studies, correct? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a hard core radical operation. Yeah. Go ahead.
6: Very powerful. And And now he sits on
1: the impeachment committee. And uh, let's see here. The Heritage Foundation. Here's what they had to say about this. Back in... uh, April 1977, as a matter of fact, that is an avowedly radical organization formed in 1963 by Richard Barnett and Marcus Raskin, both of whom had backgrounds of government employment. Barnett had worked for the U.S. Arms Control Disarmament Agency, while Raskin had worked for several members of Congress and the National Security Council. Um, Let's continue here. The Institute exists to influence the formation of policy. Operates to this end as a tax-exempt group. All right, that's all well and good. Uh, Let's continue the look here. Um, The basic aims, uh, two essential things. It's reason for being. It indicates uh, hope to have an impact on government policy. Okay, that's repetitious. And uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to read this while I'm on the air. Um, Anyway, go ahead
6: and they also teach staffers for the Congress and the Senate. And years ago, some anti-Castro Cubans... Wait a minute, can I
1: just say one more thing? Arthur Waskow was also deeply associated, the most prominent of the IPS fellows. His credentials are as an extreme radical activist beyond Cavell, associated with such militantly radical movements as Students for a Democratic Society, the most pro-Hanoi and disruptive segments of the communist-dominated peace movement during the Vietnam War. He stated in an article in 1968, I have a gut preference for disorder, and this preference has characterized his entire career as a radical scholar and activist. Um, So you're right about this organization, that it is enormously radical, and that Raskin's father was associated with it, and in fact, his father did have, if not direct ties, indirect ties with the Soviet Union, is your point.
6: Right. And it's very powerful. They teach staffers for the Congress and Senate. And when some anti-Castro Cubans killed an enemy agent in Washington, when the FBI went to the home of, of the guy that was killed, they were meeting with Ted Kennedy's people. So these people, there's congressional staffers who meet here, there's congressmen and senators who rely on this group for research, Imagine a KGB front group doing research for our government, and that stuff gets implemented through the arms and control. You know, they push the Soviet... All right, I
1: want to give a little bit more information. Not to be rude, but we're running out of time. Raskin co-authored a paper for Representative Kastenmeier, who was a lunatic out of, uh, I think, Madison, for unilateral disarmament by the United States. He served as group secretary for a publishing project known as the Liberal Papers, called for the recognition of UN membership for Communist China, East Germany, North Korea, North Vietnam, unilateral scrapping by the United States of nuclear testing, the dismantling of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the abandonment of Berlin, allowing the Soviet Union to plug in the American DEW early warning defense system, the neutralization of Central Europe in accordance with the uh, Rapidsky Plan, a scheme advanced by the Communist government of Poland, it goes on and on. In 1968, he was chairman of the Committee for the Formation of a New Party, which formed the Radical Socialist-Oriented New Party, more recently styled the People's Party. They called for the dismantling of an obsolete, dangerous military establishment. Uh, this is his father, you say. One time associated with the Radical Education products a Project of Students for a Democratic Society, Uh, He was a member of the so-called Committee to Defend the Conspiracy set up to aid the defendants in the celebrated case resulting from the violent disruptions perpetrated by the anti-war movement. Um, Let's see here. While in Paris, uh, it goes on and on and on. Um, The
6: FBI, Mark, the FBI used to monitor the group. And then the FBI was ordered to destroy destroy all their records and file on the Institute for Policy Studies. Now, you mentioned Students of Democratic Society. One of the leaders of that was Tom Hayden, who represented oh, the yeah. Viet Cong, uh, communist government. I met Tom Hayden, and my face to his face, I told him, you should be shot. That was one of my proudest moments, <laughs> oh, getting in his face, getting him nervous.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Enemy agents all over the place, Mark.
1: Uh, Let's see. Just bear with me. I want to uh, clarify or underscore some of your points here. Jamie Raskin is an American lawyer, politician, represents 8th Congressional District in Maryland since 2017. Montgomery County, which is an affluent suburb. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, Extends through Frederick County to the Pennsylvania border. Um, Let's see. Just bear with me. His uh, parents, you're right, Marcus, Marcus Raskin. Marcus Raskin.
6: His father.
1: His father was Budi-Gieg's Marcus Budi-Gieg's Raskin. Father, yep.
6: And Pete Pete Budi-Gieg's father was the founder and leader of the International Gramsci Society, international, worldwide. The Gramsci strategy is penetrate all religion and culture prior to the revolution, as opposed to revolution and then re-educating the population. The Gramsci strategy is no. You re-educate the population prior to the revolution. Now, that was originally set up to do in Italy, because Italy had a Catholic church that would prevent revolution. So they said we have to get all the religion and culture and build a counter-hegemony. We have the counter-hegemony now. The, we During are we sure? the
1: general election, his first Raskin was endorsed by Bernie Sanders' affiliated political organization network, Our Revolution, and the community organizing effort, People's Action, and he prevailed in the general election, uh, as we as we now know. So he is a absolute, absolute nut job. He was involved in Trump's impeachments You point out he's now on this January sixth committee, and Liz Cheney sits right near him on this committee. What a useful idiot she is and has become. Jimmy, I want to thank you. Very elucidating. I appreciate it, my friend. Keep in touch. We'll be right back.
2: love in.
1: This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. Do you realize my wife and I haven't been away together for a week's time? Ever, Mr. Producer? Ever. As we like to say, oi, gewalt. And um, that's going to change. So I will not be here Friday. Who's going to be here, Rich? Richie V. Mr. Call Screener, good man. He will be here Friday, holding down the ship, as they say. I don't even know what that means, holding down the ship. Why would you hold down a ship? We want to hold down the fort, right? What does that mean? Well, I can assume I know what it means, but it's it's kind of weird. But anyway, Richie V will be here. He's really great. And we'll have a whole slew of hosts throughout the uh, holiday. Right, Mr. Producer? Ben Ferguson, who is a wonderful guy. Rich Zioli. Wonderful guy. Larry O'Connor. Wonderful guy. Brian Mudd. Wonderful guy. And the best of, a couple of best ofs with me. Wonderful guy. You know, one day we ought to all get together. The wonderful guys and me. We could have a good time. We could play poker or something like that. No, not strip poker, just poker. But it could be a lot of fun. So anyway, um... I think that's important. The last story I want to end with, report, U.S. tells Israel, new tanker jets, key to Iran strike, not coming anytime soon. You see, the, uh, the jets that Israel have, they're altered for their own terrain, for their own needs. You know, they don't have the, the big, big central part of Israel and so forth. If they are attacked, they are hit immediately. That's how tiny the country is. It's seven miles wide at the center. And so in order to, to attack Iran, they need a certain amount of fuel. The Biden administration is saying, Israel, we're not giving you those tankers. Just like Obama, we have the Biden administration filled with anti-Semites. That's right, I said it and I mean it. They hate us. And they hate that country, too.